I want to begin this morning by helping those of you guys who may still be single and looking with a few Christian pickup lines. Now, none of these are the ones I used on Barb, which may be why it took some time to actually get her attention. But let's start. How about this one? You notice a very fine-looking woman you casually walk up to and you say, Hey, nice Bible. How would that go over? I don't know. Or how about this? I would like to pray with you. You have to, have, you have to be really sincere when you do it. Or this next one would work best in charismatic churches. God told me to come talk to you. Do you need help carrying your Bible? It looks heavy. And then this one, if you really want to be aggressive, is Christians don't shake hands. Christians got hugged. And how about this one? What are your plans for tonight? Feel like a Bible study? I don't know how that would work. How about this one? Is it a sin that you stole my heart? That's really bad. And then maybe my favorite one. Do you believe in divine appointments? <laughs> of course, as followers of Christ, I hope, I hope that we see beyond such shallow pickup lines, right? We see in the Word of God the importance of real genuine relationships and how important they are in the kingdom of God. I once heard a sermon right here in this church where the preacher said God always accomplishes his purposes through relationships. Now I've thought about that statement many times since then and I've decided that I don't think it's safe to say that God always does something because just when you think you've got them figured out he adds other elements to his ways of working that prompt us to look to him in faith and not in formula. However, I do think that there's a lot of truth in that statement that God always accomplishes his purposes in relationship. Think about it. When God does something good in your life, or even when he allows something difficult in our lives because we need to learn something, how often is this truly seen in the context of a relationship. I believe that the more that you think about it, the more you realize that it's absolutely, if not absolutely all the time, it's true most of the time that God accomplishes his purposes in our relationships with each other. Of course, as Christians, our primary relationship is vertical, isn't it? The one between us and God. And because of the sacrifice of Christ, because Jesus died for us, we can have a genuine relationship with God that would not have been possible without that sacrifice. And that's really, really incredibly important for us to remember, especially as we enter this Lenten season and we ponder that sacrifice and the cost to God, to Christ of redemption, which enabled us to be reconciled to God in our relationship with him. But the scriptures paint for us a very beautiful picture of relationships with each other that are founded on the firm foundation of our mutual relationship in Christ. That's why we can, in a very real sense, call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not true just for the youth group, basic, which of course is an acronym for brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, we are the family of God. And when we see the important things that God accomplished in our lives and is accomplishing today, 
we can see how very important a factor that our relationships are in that work. Now there may be some who came to Christ because they heard a sermon on the radio or TV or maybe they even read the Word of God themselves or some book on their own. But most of us, I would endeavor to say, almost all of us came to Christ primarily because of a relationship. There may be some who truly grow in Christ because they are diligent students of the Word and faithful prayers. But most of us combine some level of these things with relationships. Relationships with godly believers. Relationships with a mentor or a disciple. Relationships with good Christian friends whose lives influence us to move forward with God. I came to Christ because of a relationship with the girl next door. When I was 16, I became smitten with this girl that lived next door. And it just so happened that her family was a Christian family. And they were very aggressively evangelistic with me. And within a few months, I had recognized my need of God's grace, and I received the free gift of eternal life. And then I dated this girl for about another 18 months or so, and during that time, and really almost solely because of her influence and that of her family, I came to ORU. And then, a few months after I came to ORU, she had already left ORU. We came to ORU together, and then she left. And so I was still there at ORU, and then she was out of my life completely. But God had used that relationship to move me along the path that he had for me. Now, if you step back in hindsight, and you look at the bigger picture, consider the irony of God using my relationship with another girl that I dated for a little less than two years to get me to the very place where I would later meet my wonderful wife of going on 35 years. <laughs> yes, God uses relationships to accomplish what he desires in our life. And Sue, you need to tell Gordon that uh, he's not the only one that I feature pictures of him, you know, many, many years ago. He was a little embarrassed a few weeks ago. Actually, probably like I wouldn't add the qualifier always, but God does use relationships. I'd certainly agree that most, if not all the time, the relationships we have are pretty important to how God wants to move in our life, to accomplish his purposes for our good and for his glory, to move us where he wants us to be, to bring us into the kingdom in the first place, to advance his kingdom, to change us, to shape us, to mold us into the image and likeness of Christ, and to help us find our place of kingdom service, to help us cope with the trials and the challenges of life, to share with us the joys in life. Relationships are a key to all of these things as we live our lives together. The Bible has a very special word for this kind of sharing of life, and we've looked at this word before, but this morning it's important for us to rehearse the meaning behind this word. And that word, of course, is koinonia. We see it in many New Testament verses. The way it's usually translated is with the English word fellowship. Now, fellowship in a church context has come to mean potlucks. It's come to mean visiting before or after church, uh, church picnics, things like that. It's certainly not wrong to use that word in those ways. That may be a part of what fellowship means but they are only a part of the true, full, biblical meaning of what fellowship is. Fellowship translated in the New Testament from the Greek word koinonia means so much more than just hot 
together after church and just what we had briefly even a few minutes ago before the beginning of this sermon. Fellowship translated means so much more than that. It's the word that's used in Acts 2.42 for fellowship. Koinonia is that word. When it says that the early church was devoted to the fellowship. Our English understanding of the word begins to describe what we have and what we hope to have more of here at TCF, but not entirely. Koinonia, like many Greek words, is a very rich word. It's full of nuance. It's full of meaning. In the Greek, it includes not only our more common understanding of the word fellowship, but it also includes the idea of participation. It includes the idea of communion, to share in a common interest and purpose. It's also used to describe, interestingly enough, a financial participation or sharing resources. That is, it's used to describe giving. The word implies common to all. It implies partnership. It means cooperation. And that clearly implies partnership and cooperation in doing something, doing something together. One definition of fellowship is the bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to Christ and together with one another. Now it's this understanding of fellowship that I think sheds light on our purpose for gathering together. It sheds light on our purpose for gathering together as a church each Sunday morning. Our deep and growing sense of the bond of family and relationship at TCF. Now the Greek stem koin means common. And from this idea we can see many shades of meaning. One Bible dictionary describes it this way. The New Testament uses the koin stem to speak of the believer's relationship with Christ and the mutual fellowship among Christians. Koinonia was Paul's favorite word to describe a believer's relationship with the risen Lord and the benefits of salvation which come through him. On the basis of faith, believers have fellowship with the Son. We share fellowship in the gospel. Paul probably meant that all believers participate together in the saving power and message of the good news. Believers also share together a fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which the Apostle understood as a most important bond for unity in the life of the church. And you see several different scripture references which use the word koinonia to describe those various kinds of fellowship. There's so much more to koinonia that we don't really want to take the time to explore this morning, but suffice it to say, the koinonia with our Lord Jesus results in the sharing of the benefits of his sacrifice. That includes the good news of the gospel. That includes the Holy Spirit that resides in all followers of Christ. It's also clear that koinonia includes sharing in his sufferings. Now that's an interesting thing. This is the part of koinonia that's sometimes ignored by churches who prefer to just focus on the more accessible and friendly and really nice sounding parts of Christian koinonia. But we read in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 where Paul wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, that's the word koinonia, the sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So there's that word again this time applied to Jesus' sufferings, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. For us, these are characteristics born of fellowship with Jesus, 
humility, obedience, servanthood, sacrifice. Just as Jesus lived a sacrificial life, giving himself so completely for the people with whom he had fellowship, we, his people, are also to give ourselves for the sake of God's people. Those people who, like us, have fellowship with him through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we have fellowship with Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. That's the basis, that's the foundation for the fellowship that we share with one another. And again, we're not just talking about the times of fellowship like the potlucks and things like that. We're talking about the sharing of life together. It's the root of all we are and all we are to do as followers of Jesus. And again, understanding what true fellowship, what true koinonia means, we are meant to share life in many ways with our brothers and sisters in Christ. True fellowship with each other depends entirely on our union with Jesus. In fact, think about this. It's not really possible without that element. It's not possible. Of course, yes, the world, apart from Christ, can have friendships, they can have relationships, and people without Christ can still do wonderful things for each other. But you cannot have koinonia, and all that truly means, without a mutual union, a unity in Christ. And that's a key phrase there, in Christ. We read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then just a few verses later, in verses 6 and 7, we read this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So here in 1 John, we see the relationship between our fellowship with Jesus and our fellowship with each other very clearly, very tightly, inextricably connected, don't we? Paul uses the word koinonia 14 times in the epistles. And one thing that he makes very clear in his letters is that everything in the life of a Christ follower is an expression of our mystical but very real participation, our sharing in the life of Christ himself. This union that we have is what overflows into our relationship with others who also follow Jesus. So fellowship, in a very real sense, is the byproduct and it's an end result of our common union that we have together in Christ. That results from our common goals, our sharing in life together, our sharing of resources, both physical and spiritual. So the more that we as Christians understand and discover the salvation that's common to all of us, and this is important, we discover and we begin to understand that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us are saved not on the basis of deeds we've done, but according to his mercy. That all of us are saved by his grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, but that's a gift of God. The more we ponder these things, the same boat that we're all in, we ponder these things, 
the more we think about them and realize that you're in the same boat that I'm in, the more fellowship occurs and the deeper it becomes. It seems clear to me that in our koinonia, in Christ, with Christ, which leads to and makes possible our koinonia with each other, we are meant to work together for God's glory. We are meant to work together for God's glory. This morning, all that I've said so far is really just an introduction. Because this morning, one thing we want to do is we want to celebrate a very specific reflection of our fellowship with one another. When we talk about fellowship in the body of Christ, we have to recognize and be honest with ourselves that some settings are much more conducive to fellowship than other settings, right? Think about that. That's why we don't only meet together on Sunday mornings. Many of us in this church, many of us get together at events or homes or restaurants outside TCF. And we share life together without any help from the church even. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we do those kind of things together. That's an important element in our fellowship. And we really encourage more and more of that. Contact, connection outside of the context of what we do together here as a church. We also meet during the week in small groups we call house churches. Now think about this for a second. In the news, we've seen a lot about performance-enhancing drugs. We've seen a lot of athletes getting in trouble for using things like steroids and human growth hormones, things like that, right? Have you seen some of that news? Follow that in the recent weeks. We've seen a lot of that. But let me say this. House churches are legal performance-enhancing drugs. House churches are fellowship or koinonia on steroids. Think about that. It's really true. House churches enhance fellowship in a way that other things cannot. House churches take koinonia to a new level. And it's a level that's just not entirely possible on Sunday mornings alone. For the simple reality of the number of people involved. Probably most of you know people who have hundreds of Facebook quote-unquote friends, right? You know people have hundreds, literally hundreds of Facebook friends. Well, think about this too. In reality, most of us only have a handful of true friends, if you understand the real meaning of that word. That's because no one, no one has the capacity to have koinonia with that many people in one season of their lives. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with having a lot of acquaintances, okay? But it really overplays it to call these people friends, if you want to define friends as friends truly are. Now, the same is true on Sunday mornings. Not one of us is capable of having deep relationships with more than a few dozen people, if that many, let alone 150 of us on a Sunday morning. Sure, we can have many more friends than that if you understand friends in a different context. But you can only truly share life. You can only truly share life and all that this idea of koinonia means with a limited number of people at any one time. That's why the intimacy that house churches bring to us is so important. If we cannot, it's not that we can't have deep relationships with people outside our house churches. Our goal is not to create this faction and this faction or this tribe and that tribe or club inside TCF. It's just that the setting of the house church lends itself significantly to the development of true 
koinonia in a way that the larger Sunday service makes much more difficult, if not impossible, all by itself. Now, Sunday morning can enhance your relationships even with the people in your house church and can enhance relationships with one another. We see house churches referenced six different times in the New Testament. We see the Apostle Paul addressing and greeting people by name. And when he does that, that indicates what? It indicates a real relationship with somebody. He doesn't say, hey, but greet those people at TCF. He says, say hi to Jim. Say hi to Dawn. Say hi to Desiree. Greet those people for me. That's what he says. So it indicates real relationships. He knew these people by name. And he wasn't just writing to the church that meets in so-and-so's home. Now, TCF has had house churches in one form or another for more than 30 years. Is that right, guys? It's more than 30 years, I think. There's a real movement toward house churches across the country. You read about a lot of places where a lot of churches are starting house churches, and there's a lot of house churches that are starting independently of larger church bodies. But TCF was doing this before it was cool and trendy. We've been doing it for a long time. Of course, in persecuted church countries, they've been doing it forever because it's about the only way they can really meet. In TCF house churches, members of each group can experience true koinonia, an organic union with one another when we grow in Christ together, when we bear one another's burdens in practical ways and with prayer, where we delight with each other's joys and we weep with one another's sufferings. I've been in most of the house churches at one time or another, but I've been in the house church that we call Piccolo House Church for 25 years. I think it'll be 25 years this fall that we've been meeting together. And I have to say that I have shared life with these people. It's a very deep, genuine, real share. We have experienced new life and birth together, and we have experienced death together, and everything in between, suffering of one another, and the joys that we share with one another. It's a very, very real, very deep thing. We know about, you know, you may know about something's happening in somebody else's house church, but you share it in a unique way with the people who are in your house church. And this is why we want to emphasize this here together this morning. Now, May 2009 was the last time that we featured house churches in a Sunday service. And that day, we did it just a little bit differently than we're doing it today. We didn't have a sermon on house churches. It was on a fifth Sunday. And we heard testimonies from each uh, of the four house churches that existed then from members uh, of those house churches on the life and ministry that was taking place in those groups. And they had a lot of things to say. I don't know how many of you remember that Sunday. There were some common threads. The sense of family, the sense of connectedness, the sense of relationship, the sense of love and support and nurturing of one another. They were consistent themes across the four individuals who shared on that particular Sunday morning. So while house churches are indeed small churches that meet in homes, there are some clear differences between our Sunday morning meetings here at TCF and what takes place in TCF house churches. This is why house churches are one of the most important things that we do here at TCF, to develop true koinonia. The other thing that's true, and it's been true for a long time, is they are the front lines of pastoral care, with the members caring for one another both practically and spiritually. Very practical things. Uh, when when we 
had Laura, my second daughter, house church brought us meals. And I know most of the house churches do things like that when somebody's in the hospital, somebody's just had a baby. These are just very small, practical things. Uh, my house church helped me move into the house we live in now. Now, we're all too old to do that now. But we, we, we called ourselves piccolo movers for a while because we were moving people all the time from one house to another here in town. These are the kind of things that house churches do together, very small practical things. But then there's the deep sharing of life that takes place when we suffer. And we do suffer. We suffer with one another and we help bear one another's burdens. So these are important things. Today, we're going to highlight all the house churches and in a few minutes, we're gonna formally introduce what's something we're very excited about, a brand new house church. The first new house church in more than 20 years. We're going to introduce the leaders of this new group as they uh, seek to develop true community. We're going to pray for them and the leaders. And we want to pray that God will allow those relationships that develop to accomplish God's purposes in the lives of all who attend. So first of all, what I'd like to do is we currently have four different house churches here at TCF, and I'd like to take a few minutes and introduce these. First of all, we have the house church that's called Eagle's Nest House Church. Um, and that house church meets on Wednesday evenings near the ORU area. It alternates between the Masada home and the Elon home. And uh, they meet at 7.15 each Wednesday night. They have a 6.15 potluck monthly. And uh, the leaders of that group are Joel and Ruth Masada. Now Ruth's been sick and Joel's in Iraq, so they're not here. But also the leaders are David Catanila. Would you stand? This is Eagle's Nest House Church. And again, they meet Wednesday nights at 7.15, somewhere near ORU. Okay? Then we have the Jesus Inn House Church. And uh, Jesus Inn meets at 518 South Santhus, just over here. Uh, they meet at 7 p.m. each Wednesday night. Uh, the fourth Wednesday of the month, they have a 6.30 p.m. potluck meeting. And uh, that house church is led by Gordon and Sue Wright. And if you would stand, and Alan Laura Guineri and Mike and Don Farrell, the leaders of that house church, please stand. Of course, Gordon is in Ohio. That's the leaders of the Jesus Inn House Church, which meets Wednesday nights again at 7 p.m. near the church here. We also have the Midwest House Church. That's also another Wednesday night house church. And they meet uh, at 7 p.m. Wednesday nights. On the first Wednesday of the month, they meet at 6.30 and have a potluck meal. That's actually the last, last Wednesday of the month. It's the last Wednesday of the month. Okay, I have the wrong information. 6.30 on the last Wednesday of the month, they have a potluck meal. And uh, the location of this house church may change. So you don't ever want to just show up at somebody's house. You want to call them in advance, or you may be there all by yourself. And that kind of defeats the purpose of fellowship, if you're all by yourself. So... Uh, the current leaders of this group, Dave and Beth Troutman, would you guys stand? They're the leaders of the Midwest House Church. Again, that means Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We also have a Piccolo House Church, which you might think that's a misnomer because it doesn't actually meet in a house. It actually meets in a church. So we're, we got half right, I guess, right? But uh, actually, Piccolo, for the first five years of its existence, uh, met in a home, and then the host of that decided it was too challenging for her to get her house ready every week for all of us invading her home, and decided that we wanted to do it somewhere else. So we came here thinking this might be temporary, 
but it ended up staying here. So we actually meet at the Fellowship Hall, Piccolo House Church, uh, Wednesday nights. We meet at 6.30, and uh, we have a potluck on the first Wednesday of the month, same time, 6.30. And uh, I lead that, my wife Barbara, Barbara Stan. Nobody knows who you are, so you should stand there. That's Piccolo House Church. Now, uh, we're also going to have a new house church. And the new house church doesn't have a name yet, so we're going to have a drawing for who can come up with the best name. Now, let me just tell you about this, this. This may just give you some ideas here. You know, when Piccolo House Church first met, there were many more house churches, and most of the house churches in that day were uh, named after the place they met. In other words, it was the Fifth Street or the Fulton Avenue or the whatever house church, and they were named by where they met. And Willard Hudson, everybody remember, some of you remember Willard, Willard and Nettie, they were the leaders of this house church when that house church began along with Bob and Tony Williams, who later moved to Kansas City. And uh, we had a couple meetings together, and Willard one day just kind of tossed it out in one of our meetings, our second or third meeting. Uh, what would we like to name the house church? And he told a story about an orchestra conductor who had a great ear, and he could hear every instrument in the orchestra. And one day, he was conducting the orchestra, and he said, wait, 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 wait. Where's the piccolo? Where's the piccolo? Well, you know what a piccolo is? A piccolo is a small, very unobtrusive, not particularly loud instrument. And Willard made the point with that story that this orchestra conductor could hear so well and he needed that piccolo to fully contribute to the full, rich sound of that orchestra and said, that's what we want this house church to be like. Great little story. So he told that story the very first night and a few weeks later when we began to ponder what are we gonna call this group, somebody said, how about Piccolo House Church? Which is kind of odd, especially back then, because they were all named after the places where they met. And that's what we decided. So we've been Piccolo House Church ever since then. So so it, uh, so I guess since then, uh, Eagle's Nest is not named after where they meet. Of course, they meet in different places. That may be why. Uh, same with Midwest House Church, which I guess could mean anything, couldn't it? You could be in Cincinnati for all we know, right? So. Anyway, so the New House Church, here's an exciting thing. We've heard from at least a handful of people that Wednesday nights are too difficult. You no, know, I meant to have this information up here as I was going through this and I forgot. But for those of you uh, who would like to have this information, it's on the back of the book. Okay? So it's all there. And there's the new name, no name yet, House Church. They're going to meet at 3715 South Fulton, which happens to be the residence of Steve and Chris Staub. They're going to be at 7 p.m. They haven't scheduled a uh, potluck yet. They probably will, maybe not. Their first meeting is going to be February 28th, not this Thursday, but it's the following Thursday. That will be the first time they meet. Uh, they're going to be led by Hallett and Nancy and Steve and Chris. We're going to invite them up here in just a few minutes uh, to pray for them. A couple things to note. We don't assign people to house churches. We encourage those who are not involved in house churches to visit one or more and then settle into one, but we don't assign people to house churches. Each house church has a somewhat different flavor. 
Now, koinonia, discipleship, and sharing of life together is a key component of each house church, but they do, do, do it differently. The styles of each group will vary according to the leadership and the membership of that group. But there's enough variety that everyone at TCF should be able to find a group that fits them best. Some groups emphasize different things. Some groups have more individuals teaching. Some teach and learn scripture together. Some of them do it in a dialogue or discussion format. But each individual group determines their own course of study and focus for the weekly meetings. All of the groups are under the oversight of the elders, and the elders do not determine the course of study. But there is a sense of accountability to the elders. Each of the current house churches, the first four that I mentioned before the new one, are led, at least in part, led or co-led by elders. Now, it hasn't always been this way. This is not by design. This was by default. It just kind of worked out that, that way. And today, that will change as the new house church does not include an elder <laughs> as a leader. Everyone at TCF is encouraged to find and commit to a house church. It's in the context of the house church where many of the deepest relationships at TCF are formed. And house churches are frequently where the most significant ministry at TCF takes place. The elders have prayed for many months. Actually, I think we probably prayed for more than a couple of years about developing a new house church. And almost every time we've discussed the possibility of starting a new group, these names have come up. In fact, we discuss almost anything. It's amazing how many times Steve's name and Hal's name comes up. If we asked you guys everything we thought you would be good to do, you guys wouldn't have time to work. So we figured you probably do need to work, so. So let's have uh, Hal and Nancy, Hollinger, and Steve and Chris come on up and let the elders come up as well. And we want to pray for you. We want to pray for this new group.
that when evil forces seek to move in and put a bullseye upon them, O oh God, that they would be turned away. We pray, God, for a protection of their marriages, for we know that Satan's most effective weapon is division. And may the enemy, through the burdens and stresses of labor that they're not undertaking, may he fail in his effort to use those to bring division in marriage. We pray, God, for the children, those that are grown and those that are not, your protection and blessing upon them. Father, as these begin, we realize they may have some concept of what they're going to do. I realize, Lord, even with our best plans and at times thinking we're led by the Spirit, we're mistaken. Lord, we ask for you to take a firm grip upon them that they would not turn from the very center of the path upon which you would have them walk. And we do not ask you to show them, Lord, far down the road, but the next step in obedience, they can take it. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have given us such quality in these two. People who have seasoned, people who have been through much. Far from perfect as are all of us, but seasoned in your kingdom. Therefore, Lord, today, in behalf of the eldership of this congregation, we now commission these to the role of teaching, shepherding, enhancing koinonia among those who you give to them. Through Jesus, our great shepherd. Amen.
with an individual house church. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you, Father, that the foundation of our koinonia with one another is our koinonia with Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we can be in Christ and experience true fellowship with God the Father and with each other. In Jesus' name. Okay, have a great day, guys.